forever. Dog. Just between us. Hey. Just between us. Hey. Hello, I'm Allison Raskin. I'm a writer, mental health advocate, and newly posting on TikTok. Hi, I'm Gabby Dunn. I'm a writer, bicon, bisexual icon, weak, and I'm drinking from a tiny teacup. <laughs> it's not that tiny. I'm sorry. It's- I should have yes-handed you. <laughs> Gabby is drinking from the tiniest teacup you've ever seen. The smallest little teacup. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, so how's TikTok treating you? It's a wild ride. Uh, I have to not check it so much. <laughs> yes. Yes, it's it's on purpose, very cyclical and very addicting. And like you could just get on there for hours and just keep going. What I love about it is that um, people who don't follow me still see the stuff. So Mm -hmm. like my views are way higher than the than the followers that I have. And I, I just like really like that. Like it's an app where it's like if if something is good, then it will get views versus like you just already have to have this established fan base. Yes. I mean, terrifying in some ways because you don't have control over where things go, which is my whole problem with social media. I get very, I'll like go on a TikTok binge and then I'll be fully scared of it for a week and be like, I'm too, I'm scared. I don't want to post anything. I don't want to be perceived. I don't want mm-hmm. anyone to know what I'm talking about or thinking about. Okay, I tell a funny story about TikTok. And my, yeah. so I ha- I got a TikTok like a year ago or something. Not to really, I made, I made some stuff, not like a ton. What happened was I was getting really upset because I was watching all these um, animal videos and I was seeing all of these animals um, be way more loving than my dog, Sugar. <laughs> and I was seeing all these dogs doing all these incredible things and it was making me like really upset. This is also like we're in the depths of the pandemic. Like I'm just like very bored, obviously. And so my ex was like, you know, maybe you just need to like stop watching TikTok because it's making you depressed about like comparing your dog. (laughs) And so I was like, okay, you're right. And so I got rid of it. And then I think when I was home in New York, I was like, okay, like I, I want to do this again. Like I, you know, I want to watch stuff and whatever. And so I started a new account called at Allison Raskin baby, because Uh at Allison Raskin, I thought I had canceled or deleted or whatever. But then it turns out that like I never canceled at (laughs) Allison Raskin. And my mom had to be like, Allison, like what's with that account? And I look and it's just videos of Jake and videos of me announcing my engagement and videos of me just being like so jazzed about being engaged. I was like still up and I had no idea. Did you delete it? Yeah, but at first I didn't know how to get into the account. And I was like, oh, no, oh, no. (laughs) I deleted like kind of everything I have of him. And so Mm -hmm. to like have this video of him like talking to me was like so surreal and like upsetting. And then I was like, I got to get into this TikTok account. You just emailing TikTok being like, you don't understand. (laughs) I'm not trying to break in. (laughs) Um, But then I figured it out and I deleted it. And now it's all just posts about being abandoned on Baby. I wish you had kept it and then you had just like started then po- left those videos up and then just started posting that you were abandoned. Can you imagine what that's the that's the greatest horror movie of all time. 
I, that's a storyline. Also, when I go in to like edit videos for my Patreon, all the footage of like the proposal video that we had made like popped up, and I was like, "What keeps this keeps happening <laughs> to me?" I I thought I had scrubbed everything. No, I go. I was in my Google Drive trying to go through my Google Drive to find something, and I had all these pictures of Garrett, all these mm-hmm. videos of Garrett, and I was like, "What the fuck?" Like, because you also like. I know maybe this is not the same with people in exes, but like I completely forget. Like, like I'm like, oh my god, hey! Like I completely forget about people. So I was like, that's so weird. And then I'm not the same person, so I'm like, who's that with you? Yeah, I would love to forget my ex fiance. Can't wait for that day. <laughs> One day it'll happen. I don't think it will happen because. It's very different when you've been engaged to somebody than when okay. you dated them when you were like 26. That's true. How's the how's the new has the new gentleman? It's good, but we can get to that. We'll get to that later in the episode because okay, I, okay. I have another funny story to share. I, I came in with some stories, which is okay. <laughs> exciting for you, I'm sure. It is very exciting for me. I was going to ask about the guy, but I was like, maybe I shouldn't put her on the spot. But then I just I just did it. <laughs> you did it anyway. Yeah. Um, anyway, <laughs> did we say this is just between us a variety show filled with heartfelt advice, ridiculous games and brutal, brutal honesty. <laughs> so you want to wait. So you want to wait until the, the question in order to talk about Mr. Mystery. Yeah, his name is John. OK, I also forgot if we had said his name. So I just went with Mr. Mystery. Yeah, I talked about it on my Patreon. So I was like, well, if I talk about if I name him there, no last names. His name is John Mystery. His name is Mr. John Mystery. John Mystery. (laughs) So we're going to also today discuss Naomi Osaka and the French Open and prioritizing your mental health and all the scandals and everything that happened with that. But first, when we return from the break, we're going to answer a listener's question and get more tea from Allison. So stay tuned. Just between us, it's time for hit it. <laughs> international question, international question, international question. Vicky, Austria. Vicky says, TLDR, how do you know if it's the right time to say I love you to your partner? Hi, Allison and Gabby. I've been in a healthy and happy relationship with my girlfriend for about two months now, and I want to tell her I love her, and it's already almost slipped out a couple of times. The reason I'm hesitating to tell her is, first of all, the obvious. Does she love me too? Will she say it back? Etc. But also because she told me about her first relationship with a girl, which turned completely toxic and manipulative once they said the L word to each other, which, as she said, probably was the reason she came out as a lesbian so late. I'm just worried that she would feel like she has to say it back and that she might not be ready to hear it from me. How can I be sure that she'll feel comfortable with me saying it to her? And how do I know when the right time to say it would be? Thank you guys so much for everything you do. I started watching your YouTube channel a few years ago when I first started questioning my own sexuality. And you've since really helped me through so much you don't even know. Your podcast is my favorite one. And I usually listen to it on the way to my therapist, which I got the courage (laughs) to go to because of you as well. I'm going to cry. So thank you for everything. You've really changed my life. And even if my question won't get an answer on the pod, I really hope you'll read my message and know how much you've helped me. Love you guys, Vicky. So beautiful. Guess what, Vicky? Not only did we read your message, we're answering your question. 
I think this is such a great question because that is one of those things of like, eek, when, when do I say that? And especially if you're in a situation where your partner is potentially bringing in, in baggage from past relationships around it, it's like extra confusing. The story that I want to share. Oh no. Okay. What happened? (laughs) So my parents came to visit a few weeks ago and they met John and it it went great, fine, whatever. And then like th- they were at my apartment, like in the living room. And then I walked John to the door to say goodbye. And <gasps> like, I'm somebody who just says like, I love you to everybody. <gasps> like, it's just like an impulse. Like, it's like a way that I say goodbye to people. <gasps> and so I said to him, I was like, okay, like, love you or something. Like I said it like that, like just by pure accent. And his face made a, oh, you fucked up face. And then I panicked so much that instead of like, just like putting my hands over his mouth so that like he couldn't talk about what had just happened. I put my hand inside his mouth. <laughs> what? <laughs> how? What do you mean? How? I don't. I like blacked out. I don't know. Yeah. Like I think his mouth was maybe still open in the like, oof. <laughs> and then I went to like cover his mouth and my fingers like went into his mouth. Oh my God. And then I said, we'll talk about this later. And then I just like slammed the door in his face. Oh my God. Did your parents hear the whole thing? I don't, I don't think so because they didn't acknowledge it at all. And they also don't have great hearing, which is a huge advantage for me. Oh my God. And then I just was like, everything about that feels like an Alice (laughs) interaction. Oh my God. So then when did you follow up? So you're like, I haven't yet. (laughs) We haven't haven't talked since, but I think we're still together. I've been ghosting him. I think that like I texted him because it was also the first night that he like met my parents. So then I think we were also just sort of like texting about that or like whatever. And so we sort of like texted about how that went. And then I like kind of made a joke about what had happened. And he like sort of made a joke back, but we didn't really discuss it. But I knew that he in his last relationship felt and this is getting to the actual advice part okay (laughs) felt like it had moved way too fast okay and that like even though he'd been friends with his ex like before they started dating which i think does matter like she said it really early on you know and then the whole thing moved really flat and like so i knew that like i did not want to be the one to say it Mm -hmm. and that's honestly kind of my advice here is like if this person has you know, if this is like a big deal for them, if this is something that like they're going to be on a different timeline than you, like, why not just wait for them to be the one to initiate it? What if they're waiting for you? But why is it like determined who has to say, you know what I mean? Like, I think that like sometimes if it's clear that one person is moving more slowly, then the respectful thing to do potentially is to just like wait for them to be ready to say it. But then what if you're just sad and you're sitting on it and then they they just don't say it ever because and then you're just sad and you're keeping your sadness to yourself and then they get hit by a train and die. And you never said you loved them. Okay, well, obviously that would suck. But I'd say that, like, (laughs) I'm not saying, like, in a timeline for eternity. But, like, give yourself, like, another month or two. You know? Like, Mm. I think if you're still, like, under four months, like, that's still, like, a normal time to be saying it. People are on different timelines. And I think that, like, um, if it hasn't happened, 
you know, by four months, let's yeah. say, then you maybe say it or you do a check-in of like, I kind of want to, you know, like talk about like where we are in this relationship. I know that what happened in your past relationship wasn't healthy. And so I've been really trying to like respect those boundaries and not move too fast. But I also, you know, like I care about you a lot and I want to be able to express that to you. And so I'm just sort of like curious, like where, where are you in, in this? I disagree. Okay. I think that, I think that you can say it without expectation. Like, I think you can try to be like, hey, I want to tell you how I feel about you. No expectation. This is not a two-way street. Like, you don't have to say it back. I This isn't like a, I say it, now you say it tit for tat. This is like, because then I feel like if it is that for you, then you should rethink your motivations because if you love someone, telling them should be about you expressing your feelings to them. And I don't think it should be about trying to game something out of them or trying to, because maybe that's what happened in the past relationship where it was toxic and manipulative. Where like, this is, this is not about you getting a response ideally and most purely. It should be about you telling the other person how you feel and then feeling good about having done that. Yeah. And I think in an ideal world, absolutely. But I think the reality is, is that when one person says, I love you, the other partner feels pressured to reply to that. How can you just, can you tell them and be like, there, sincerely, there's no pressure here. Like I, you know, take some time, think about if you feel the same way, you don't like, you know, whenever you feel it. Yeah, I guess so. I guess to me, it's also sort of like, you know, I then like made this conscious decision after my faux pas where I was like, you know, I think I'm at I'm at that place, but I'm also comfortable. And I just decided to wait. Like I was like, this feels like this needs to be something done on his timeline. Yeah. And then I waited. And then like within like a week, week and a half, he said it to me for Mm -hmm. the first time. And and then obviously, like once he said it to me, we could then like finally joke about the fact like mm-hmm. I flung my hand into his mouth. But like, <laughs> what made you say it today versus earlier? You know, because we'd hung mm-hmm. out multiple times in the interim. And, you know, he was like, you know, I, I thought I was going to say it last time I saw you, but like I just wasn't ready. And then like, you know, I, today I was like, you know, mm-hmm, and like mm-hmm. I just think that in the past I would have panicked. Mm-hmm. that after me saying it by accident, if he hadn't immediately said it to me mm-hmm. for real. And this time I really was like, everybody is on a different timetable. Mm-hmm. Like what matters more is just like the quality of our relationship, how mm-hmm. we treat each other. I also think that like, I think somebody can, in terms of like, you're talking about like wanting to be able to express that to somebody. I really think that we do share that we love people in ways other than verbalizing it. Yes. And so, you know, I think that like, if if what you're missing is feeling like you're not sharing that with them, like think about all the other ways that you are. Yeah. I mean, we're agreeing on timelines. I just think you can be on your own timeline and let the other person know. Because I would hate for your girlfriend to be like, well, I guess you know, she doesn't, Vicky doesn't take this seriously. And Vicky's like, doesn't feel this way about me or like, I would hate for there to be like a missed, a missed connection there or something. So I would like, I like laying all your cards on the table and being like, this is the, what's going on with me. Mal took a long time to ask me to be their girlfriend because they just had a lot of baggage on that. And they just like, whatever. And, and I knew that it had to be on their timeline. And I was just like, 
okay, well, here's how I feel about you. Here's what I want. Here's what I want. Here's like, whatever. And then I just like let, and then they knew what was going on with me. And then they, they asked me to be their girlfriend. Now they asked me to be their girlfriend before they were ready. I could tell when they asked me that they did not want to be asking me, (laughs) but they said that they felt like they had to ask or they were going to lose me, which is true. I wouldn't have waited much longer, but that was better than a past relationship they had been in where the person kept being like, no, I don't want you to like, I don't want to be your girlfriend. I don't care if you ask me or like never, or uh, honestly, not even that just didn't say anything. This person like flat out, they were like together for six months. This person didn't say anything. And then at the six month mark was like, why haven't you asked me to be your girlfriend? And like, this had never come up. They'd never talk. You know what I mean? Like, so that is what I worry about happening is like this sort of lack of communication on where everybody is. Yeah, but again, it's still really early. Like, they're only two months into this. But into they dating. are lesbians. <laughs> but I guess I'm wondering, like, why do you think that all of the responsibility is on Vicky, especially considering what their partner has shared about their experience saying I love you? The partner is just as responsible for being communicative. And, and they're the ones that have baggage around that. So... Do you think maybe that with instead of just saying it, she could be like, hey, look, we're kind of, you know, nearing a, a, a point in the relationship. I agree with you. OK, give it one more month. Then be like, hey, we're kind of nearing this place in the relationship where I know you have a lot of trauma around this specific thing. I feel like I want to tell you the extent of what I feel about you. But if that is going to be hard for you, then I don't want to harm you. Yeah, I, I have a feeling that if this per- if Vicky like waits a month or two, that the partner might get there on their own. Do you know what I mean? And that the partner might just like feel comfortable. If 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 Vicky is making this partner feel loved mm-hmm. and and feel appreciated and feel safe and feel cared for, like I'm curious if that partner will then just say it on their own. That's what I had to to do with Mal is I knew what they were like. And so I had to be on their timeline and understand where they were coming from and just kind of trust my own feelings and trust like their, like you said, like their actions versus their verbal reticence. Yeah. And and we also have to look big picture. Like if you were telling me this a, a year into dating this person <laughs> yeah. seriously, like that's very different. But, yeah. you know, I think that like, you're still early stages. It's still like, Mm -hmm. it's still like a totally reasonable amount of time. And yeah, for you to be aware that this is a thing for them. You know, I also think that maybe you don't say it until you're pretty confident they're going to say it back. That's true. (laughs) You know, like, are you feeling loved by them? Do you feel pretty confident that they're going to share the same sentiment? You know, I Mm -hmm. think that we're relatively perceptive, perceptive to that kind of stuff. And if she doesn't share it, I would share it once you are at a place where you feel really confident that that's Mm -hmm. what they also feel. And if you're not there yet, you're not there yet. And that's that's totally fine. Yeah. If you're trying to solidify the relationship early on by getting something serious down on paper, do you know what I mean? In a way like, oh, this means that our relationship is serious. I'm going somewhere once we've like hitting a milestone almost to be like, okay, great. Now I can relax. It's like, not really. Well, I think it's different to, I think you can talk about what your intentions are before you even say, I love you. Like, and I think you probably should. Like, I think that like, what are our goals here? Are you looking for something long-term? Is marriage something that you you see in your future? Are children something you see in your future? Mm -hmm, Like, mm -hmm. I actually think that like all of these big, big conversations should come 
before you even say I love yes. you. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, which might sound strange, but no. that's, that's how you date productively. Oh my God. It's true. <laughs> I know. No, I don't think, I don't think you're wrong. It's, it's so funny that it's like, presumably I queer women. And it's like, they've been together for two months. And then Vicky's like, I've been thinking it for two weeks. So you really actually have thought it six weeks into dating, which is so painfully accurate. <laughs> but I, I think a lot of people feel, say it between two to four months seems what? to be. I think so. At least some article wow. I read years ago. Interesting. I think that's for like people who are dating versus yeah. like casually seeing each other, not committed, but like two, wow. two to four months into a relationship feels pretty average to me. Wow. I couldn't even get Mal to call me their girlfriends for six months. And then even then they did it. And I was like, are you in physical pain right now? <laughs> but you were long distance and dating other people. Like it was. We're still dating other people. Were they your primary that, that whole time? Yeah. For, for the month up until six months. I mean, they only had the other partner for like a couple weeks. Like there was only like a couple weeks of overlap before they split up with the the first person they were seeing. And then, yeah. And then I was like bartering, but I did, I, I did a thing where, cause I, we were long distance. I was flying to see them and I'm a very like direct person. I think more so than other people, at least that Mal has dated or has said, because I was like, I'm going to pay and fly out to see you. I know you don't want me to be your girlfriend, but I will not be flying out to see to see you unless you post an Instagram of me. You must post one Instagram photo of me and claim me publicly. And then I will fly out to see you because I was like, I'm not going to fly out to see you for you to hide that we're dating. I have some thoughts on that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But they now they say they liked that. They were like, it was very clear. It was very direct. It wasn't like some girl. They were like, it wasn't like some girls I've dated who are like, secretly like why won't mal post about me like why isn't mal put me on their instagram and that's different for different people but if i had just sort of been like keeping it to myself and being like why aren't they saying i love you like i'm you know you know what i mean like i feel like there's a lot of people who just hold on to to try to be cool or to try to be chill they like hold on to their feelings yeah, obvious, uh, look, I'm not somebody who does that at all. Like, I think you need to talk about what you want, where your goals are, where you're at. Check in, obviously. Yeah, I'm just saying in this specific instance, if this person has some baggage and, and hurt mm-hmm. around this exchange and it's only been two months, right? the option of letting them make that mm-hmm. decision of when they're ready might be a cool way to go. And in the meantime, I agree. I agree. Just making sure that you're letting them, making sure that they feel loved Mm -hmm. and also being perceptive of like, do you feel loved by them? And that Mm -hmm. that can can potentially mean more than like them verbally expressing this thing that they have a lot of hurt tied into. Yeah. And uh, there's always the barter system. It's worked (laughs) for human beings since the Paleolithic era. And uh, it's continuing to work for us now. But in terms of like broad sense of like, when is the right time to say I love you to your partner? I think it's when you when you feel it, when you mm-hmm. feel like from them, you feel it from them. Yeah. When you feel it from them, like I think you can feel when somebody loves you and when you feel confident that that's how you feel, um, that you feel safe to share it. Yeah. That it doesn't feel like you're taking this huge risk. But in terms of like actual amount of time, that's going to vary couple to couple. 
Yes. What I'm saying is I don't like the idea of saying it in order to get something from the other person. You should say it if that's how you really feel and not as like a, I don't think it should be said with like an expectation, but it's nice if they do say it back. (laughs) Yeah. I also would argue that there, regardless of your intention, there will be that expectation. And so that's why it's maybe safer to do it when you feel more confident that it is reciprocated. Oh, I've done the thing. I've done the thing of like, I'm thinking of saying something and I'm wondering (laughs) if you are also thinking of saying something. Yeah, something like that. Like some sort of check in, you know? Yeah, (laughs) it it, it sucks because again, like there's no clear steps to follow. I think you have to just sort of like be in tune with yourself and with the other person. And and if they're not ready to say it when you say it, then I think that maybe the right move is to be like, okay, that's totally fine. Do you see yourself getting there? Mm-hmm. And if that person is like, no, mm-hmm. that's telling you something. And if mm-hmm. they're like, I'm not sure, mm-hmm. that's telling you something. And if they're like, yes, but I'm not yet ready, great. Mm-hmm. So I think that's sort of the follow-up question if they don't reciprocate is like, no problem, but can you see yourself getting to that place? Get one of those cards that you can speak into and then when they open it, it'll just say, I love you. I'm firing you from the show. (laughs) 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 Melissa's taking over. (laughs) These are all great suggestions and you people are haters. Hopefully that was helpful, Vicky. Please keep us updated. If you want to submit your international question, send it to justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. That's justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. Up next after the break, we're going to be talking about Naomi Osaka and the French Open. Stay tuned. back just between us it's time for topics x x x x x x x baby baby okay so what an interesting topical topic <laughs> thank you <laughs> that, that you have chosen so do you want to give a brief overview of what's going on so basically um the number two female tennis player in the world naomi osaka did something absolutely incredible and badass where she posted that she For the French Open, she was not going to be talking to the press um, because she was prioritizing her mental health. And these press conferences are really harmful to her mental health. It's a lot of like reporters being like, why did you mess up? (laughs) And like making her like analyze her gameplay and just putting her on the spot. And like, it's just like not a healthy interaction for her to have. And so she was willing to take the fine that comes with if an athlete refuses to talk to the press, because a lot of times part of their contracts is talking to the press. Mm -hmm. And she basically was like, if you find me, I hope that the money is then donated to a mental health charity. Yeah. And instead of the French Open being like, no problem, we'll just (laughs) fine you or we'll let it go. Or like, you know, you were literally one of the top athletes alive. They were like, this is unacceptable. And so she was like, got it. I'm not participating in the tournament. Yeah. (laughs) Which is, I think, a hero move for a lot of reasons, because so often we are taught to give in to our work and our jobs and capitalism at the expense of our mental health and to set a boundary when it comes to work 
almost never happens because of people's reaction to it. I mean, there was a lot of backlash to her saying this with a lot of like talking to the press is a part of the job. But why? We never analyze why. It's part of the job. But does it have to be? Is it good for the athletes? Why is it just because it's the thing that's been happening? Why does it have to be the thing that is happening? That's the question of the era, I think. Hopefully we're getting to a place of like actually even just asking those questions. Mm -hmm. Because obviously back in the day, like these press conferences was the only way for like journalists to get information from Mm -hmm. the athletes, for fans to get information from the athletes. Now there's this thing called social media, you know, Mm -hmm. and like, yes, that sucks for journalists potentially, but like, you know, athletes can communicate things directly to their audience now and they don't have to do it in a way where like they're answering like these abrasive questions from journalists it's hard because it's even with like press for films and stuff like i understand having to promote the movie and all of these things and it's like built into your contract and all that but it did why like it didn't used to be such an animal or something like it feels very much like if you ever watch these press conferences with actors The questions are always like so invasive or menial or like just, I mean, whatever about Scarlett Johansson, there's a lot wrong there. But the ways in which she was talked to in the Marvel press conferences about like, can you wear underwear with your suit and like all these things like you're just an actor, you're just an athlete, you're just like doing a job. Like, why is doing the job not enough? (laughs) And, you know, tennis is an incredibly mental game, <laughs> like yeah. uh, like all sports are. So it's not like with an actor where their the, their completion of the project is done. Like, right. you know, she's having to do these press conferences while still being in the tournament. I just think that this is an example of somebody using their power and position for good, where like her setting this example is unbelievable and so empowering and like is such a role model move. Mm-hmm. I have no idea if that was her intention. I mean, I think most likely she was just like, I need to take care of me. And yeah. just seeing somebody in that position who's part of this machine that is That's, like yes. professional tennis, being able to say that and realizing that like, oh, this is not going to ruin her life. This is not going to ruin her career. Like all of her sponsors are like, instead of like being mad at her, they're like, Way to go, Naomi, you know? So this is a complete reframing. I would say that only in the late 2017 onward or whatever is where we frame women standing up for themselves, especially women of color. Even then, I think we have a lot of room to grow there. Standing up for themselves or saying, you know, not being perfectly nice and accommodating And like, not just like following what has been done or what like the way it has been, you know, to their own detriment. In the past, she would have lost all her sponsorships. Mm -hmm. But now there's been this reframing and it's cynical, right? It's capitalist and cynical where these companies now are like, we want to support this person's mental health and uh, we want to support women of color, partially because it's morally correct, but also I suspect for these corporations, it's a good business move. And it's become a good business move because we as a society have reframed and changed the way we react to these things. Obviously, she's gotten a lot of backlash, but she's gotten a lot of backlash from a group that is not necessarily financially salient. Does that make sense? Like, well, she's getting backlash from people within the tennis machine, but 
what is, I think, amazing about social media is instead of just only hearing how the French Open officials feel about this, Mm -hmm. you now have millions of people on Twitter being like, that's awesome. I mean, I think about Monica Lewinsky a lot and like the ways in which things were framed. Vanessa Williams. I mean, the ways in which things were framed that now there are more voices. And so regardless of like if her sponsors or if these corporations like actually feel like they care about mental health or actually feel like they care about women of color, it has become financially better and corporately more palatable to a larger audience of buyers to support these types. They can see what their consumer base wants to support. Like if Nike had pulled out from sponsoring her, there would have been a backlash on a customer base that they would like to keep. Mm -hmm. And so like, you know, it's funny, we're doing an episode of Bad With Money about the LGBTQ economy, which is basically just like how funny it is that like in the 90s, if something was associated with gayness, it was like a liability. You would lose money. You would, you know, you would not be, uh, you would not be seen as like, something to be invested in versus now if you're a company that doesn't have a pride float you're a piece of shit (laughs) you know what I mean like it's so wild how things have changed and I'm so grateful for that and I think like the fact that this person is not able to be painted by the media as like a terrible horrible woman because of social media because of like a collective voice is is so it's like an example of how much we've changed. Cynically, you can say it's corporate, but it's also comes from the base of people actually caring. And because the media is no longer controlling the narrative. Correct. So for the media, it sucks that she did this because this is how they get quotes. This is how they get stories. This is, you know, and I'm sure that there's Plenty of people who are like, but what about sports journalists? If all of these people refuse to talk to the media, that sports journalists will lose their job. Like, so obviously their incentive is to paint what happened as like a negative and has her being a diva and has Mm -hmm. like this being ridiculous. But now because of social media, the other options are being shown and and people's like genuine reactions to it, which is that this is so cool and so powerful and so empowering are shining through. And hopefully what will happen is either people interacting with the media is optional or mm-hmm. we change how the media fucking interacts with the athletes where those press conferences aren't harmful to their mental health because the journalists are operating in a different way. And so when we think about like all of these like structural changes that we want to see, she is making that one. <laughs> oh, she's taking she's taking one for the team for sure. Because she is at the top of her profession. Mm-hmm. Like this is where change actually happens. This is where you like see that ripple effect. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you're if you're feeling like mentally off or like that your boss is asking too much of you, but then you're like, well, Naomi set a boundary like that's going to give you like power to set your own boundary and to and even just for your boss to have a reference point Mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. that those boundaries are okay and healthy and good for everybody involved and to cause you to think just because something is the way it's been done doesn't mean it's the way it has to keep being done if it's harming people and you know it's interesting you and I are talking about um uh, Venus Williams response where she was like, I handle these terrible questions by thinking, well, I 
I'm the best at what I do. And there's no way that these journalists who are hammering me could even touch me in my actual profession. So I don't let it bother me. So I I think that Naomi's stand is causing other people in tennis to speak their minds and to say, you know, how they've been treated by the press or say what their strategies are for handling this kind of thing. And also like giving voice to that, you know, Venus was like, well, I have a thick skin, but like, why do you need to? And just it's calling out that it's not just Naomi that is having these harmful interactions with the press. Like this is like widespread. And like you said, like it's what's been done. So it's what's expected. But like, I think this is like a real moment in time because she holds the power. People want to fucking see her play. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't care about these like antiquated French open rules. They want to <laughs> see her play, you know, and mm-hmm. I'm just like so blown away by it. And I really hope that people take her initiative and and sort of like apply it to their own lives and their own jobs and their own careers and recognize that like we can't sacrifice our mental health for our jobs. And at the end of the day that like the discourse is changing and hopefully in like 10 years, the idea of doing that is no longer the norm and Mm -hmm. no longer like expected. I think also as a sports journalist, there are other stories. Going to the press conference and getting quotes is truly the bare minimum. I I know that we've become very accustomed to clickbaity headlines. So-and-so said this, so-and-so said that. Let's take this quote out of context. We have to get this faster than the other. Like we're all attending the same press conference. So we have to get the spin on it that's going to get clicks. But it would be nice to go back to more thought out reported stories that Mm -hmm. don't have to come from gotcha to someone at a press conference. And that also comes from us as consumers not clicking on those stories and not engaging in that sort of ugly, gossipy, this person said this thing out of context, click, click, click type media economy. Mm-hmm. Melissa, you want to come in and, and share your thoughts? Yeah, I think a lot of the questions that she's been asked are just ridiculous. Like she's asked one time, which people know that she's not fluent in Japanese and a reporter who doesn't even speak Japanese asked her to answer a question in Japanese. That's what I'm saying. It's gotcha stuff. It's so that they can do a clickbait. Yeah. And it's like even when she was wearing last summer, when she was wearing a lot of like uh, victims' names from Black Lives Matters like that had been murdered. One journalist tweeted out, "We can't see something along the lines of like we can't wait to see who like dies next, so that she can <gasps> put it on their math." And it's just ridiculous things like that that I understand why she why like she doesn't have to deal with this. And if people would rather just her be sitting in a press conference and actually watching her play. And she knows that she can, she has the power in her hand to walk away and make a actual change. I'm here for it. Also, these athletes are so young. Mm -hmm. She's 22, 23. College football players are sometimes teenagers. Yeah. And we ask them to, to do these press conferences and we ask them to talk to the media. And like, it's even a joke. Like how often does the, the sports reporter come up to the player in the middle of the basketball game, NBA game, and they go, you're losing. How do you, mm-hmm. how, what is your plan? And then the person gives a stock answer. That's like, you know, we're really hoping to come back in the second half, which is not different from anything else. Any other losing team has said in the history of sports and like it just seems like a a lot of pomp and circumstance for why? For why? (laughs) Yeah. Even 
like her she she once tweeted out like a picture of her and Serena and said something like me and mom out here and like the media took that as a negative thing instead of something that like people in Gen Z say Mm -hmm. when they're talking about somebody that they admire and they were like hounding her for that talking about how disrespectful she was to Serena when it's the same reporters that are constantly disrespecting Serena. Of course. And to not acknowledge that the way that that people of color are treated by the Mm -hmm. media is completely different than white people. Yeah. Like that's an important part of the conversation too. Like there, there is a lot of inherent racism and discrimination from the media onto these athletes of color. Yeah. And so they're dealing, you know, and that is like incredibly mentally damaging. Dehumanizing, completely dehumanizing. Mm-hmm. Shut um, up and play ball. Yeah, shut up and dribble. But then if you do talk, only talk when we want you to talk. Yep. And talk the way that we want you to talk. And say mm-hmm. what we want you to say. Mm-hmm. Or else, you know, in the past, you get this bad write-up and that's all that's out there. But now it's like someone posts a bad write-up and then <laughs> Twitter is like, no, fuck you, journalist. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, like, I think this is like this really cool, like, communal way to, like, shift media and shift change. You know, but what that started and, you know, the catalyst is her making this really difficult, I'm sure, decision, you know, with the entire world watching. Yeah, it's sad that she has to essentially sacrifice herself for recognition to happen. But yeah, she is a hero for doing so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's the thing of largely women of color having to basically bear their souls in order to be humanized. I think this is a great after effect, but I'm sure her primary focus was, I don't feel good. I feel bad and my mental health is suffering. And that's like the primary thing you you come back to is like, that's really sad. Right. There's meaningful questions that they could ask that, like you were saying before, instead of having just the clickbaity things, there's meaningful conversations that can be had. And so why not have make your journalism better and have these meaningful conversations while you're doing the press conference. Yeah. There's respect. I'm sure she does not want to have to be a role model in this way. She doesn't Mm -hmm. want this to have to be such a big deal. She's a martyr. And Mm -hmm. like, yeah, you know, exactly. Um, But I think that as a society, what we can do is just like really support her. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, like if we can be brave in our own lives and in our own personal lives and, and, prioritize our mental health and recognize that even with backlash, ultimately that is like the healthiest thing that we can do for ourselves. Yeah. 100%. Yep. Whew, lot to cover. What do we rate this episode? <laughs> um, I rate it 11 out of 10 fingers in the mouth. <laughs> I was going to say five out of five fingers in the mouth. <laughs> Wait, so you guys don't put your hand in someone else's mouth when you don't want them to talk? <laughs> I will rate this 13 out of 10 I love you twos. Wow. Because oh, the sweet part of that. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what did we learn if we learned anything? I learned that Gabby gave an intense ultimatum to Mal about posting them on their Instagram. <laughs> well... Listen, if you want respect, you got to ask for respect. I don't really know if that's true. I just (laughs) I somehow managed to skirt the line between epically cool person and um, demanding person. And somehow it works out. Amazing. This was so fun. And we have another great episode for everybody on Friday where we will be talking all about ADHD 
Um, We've already recorded it and it is so helpful and informative. So we hope that you check that out. Oh, also, can I say one last small announcement? Sure. On June 18th, we're doing a live Pride episode. Um, We have some amazing guests booked. It's going to be live. That's Friday, June 18th. We will have more information for you available in an upcoming episode and also on our Instagram at JBU podcast. So gear up, get your buttholes ready for that. And also, if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, we would really appreciate it. Please. Thank you so much. (laughs) Just Between Us is a Forever Dog production hosted by me, Allison Raskin, and Gabby Dunn. Produced by Melissa D. Montz. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. Brendan Burns composed our killer theme music. To listen to this podcast ad-free, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcast.com slash plus. And check out video clips of our podcast on YouTube at youtube.com slash foreverdogteam or youtube.com slash show. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forever Dog Team to keep up with all the latest Forever Dog news and follow me and Gabby on our own socials at Gabby Dunn, Gabby Road, Gabby Dunn, just Gabby. Look her up. Uh, I'm at Allison Raskin and also at Emotional Support Lady. Um, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you're feeling generous. Forever. Dog.